Hello and welcome to The Wire, your independent national coverage of a current affairs right across Australia on Community and Indigenous Radio. I'm Amina Shakur coming to you from 3ZZZ Radio in Melbourne, Victoria. And today on the show... Uh, you know, they see the impact of climate change, you know, in their everyday lives, but they're also really concerned about their own um, future and the future, you know, the future of their own children and grandchildren. Mission Australia's youth survey reveals young people are more concerned about climate change than ever before. Amidst growing environmental concerns, a Faith Ecology Network urges action from Federal Environmental Minister for protection. That the Labor Party was totally broken-hearted with this and that's certainly the feeling around here in Parliament. Tragic loss as Labor MP Peter Murphy passes away at age 50. We'll have this and more for you over the next half hour. Thanks for being with us today. We're on air across Australia thanks to the Community Radio Network and the support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. First up today... In a new youth survey by Mission Australia, young people are deeply concerned about environmental issues. Almost a quarter of respondents expressed significant personal concerns about climate change. The survey reveals that after the environment, equity and discrimination and economic and financial matters are also high priority issues. I spoke with Mission Australia State Director Nada Nasir, who emphasised the challenges faced by young people, including mental health, and highlighted the urgent call from youth for Australia to do more to address climate change. Uh, What were the top three concerns of uh, young Australians in the Mission Australia 2023 youth uh, survey, and how many um, considered each issue important? Australia conducts this survey every year um, and we really do that so we can hear uh, the voices of young people and can really amplify their issues and concerns. Um, this year, the most important issues that were identified uh, as, as the top issues in Australia, according to the young people we surveyed, were the first was the environment, uh, second was equity and discrimination, uh, third was the economy and financial matters, and fourth was mental health. Um, and these issues really have been, have sort of consistently been the top issues in the last sort of few years, except the economy and financial matters, which really has, um, you know, we haven't seen that in the top four for several years now. So it's, uh, it's interesting that that's crept up in the top, uh, in the top, uh, you know, three issues. Um, and obviously not surprising given the cost of living crisis and the housing crisis we're, we're going through. Um, the other, close to a third of young people who were surveyed identified the economy and financial matters as the uh, the most important issue in Australia, um, and that has been quite a significant increase from the last two years. What are the main worries young Australians have about the environment, and what do you think, um, and and what do they think about Australia's actions on on climate change? So look, the environment was, um, you know, as I said, the top issue of concern for young people, and that was identified as the top issue in all states and territories. So there's a real consistency across the country. 
um, half young people identified the environment as one of the most important issues in Australia. And uh, it was also the top issue um, for young people for, for the last two years as well. So it is, it is this consistency in that um, over the last three years has been a big issue of concern for young people. Interestingly, about a fifth of young people uh, also identified, uh, who said they were personally uh, extremely or very concerned about climate change. So young people are seeing the threat of climate change and the increasing frequency and severity of natural disasters. And clearly that's uh, worrying our young people um, who really want more action from the government on, on climate change. And so look, in this survey, I mean, we really must bear in mind the impact that broader environment and economic and political issues do have on young people's lives and perspectives. And we must do more, you know, we, we really must, um, do all we can to ensure that these challenges uh, from you know past years uh, don't cause ongoing problems for this generation of young people for years to come. And and do you feel like young people want, I guess, the government in Australia to address climate change urgently? That's you know loud and clear from young people. They really want to see a stronger action on climate change. Uh, you know, they see the impact of climate change, you know, in their everyday lives, but they're also really concerned about their own um, future and the future, you know, the future of their own children and grandchildren uh, if we continue the way we are going um, in terms of the impact of, uh, of climate change. And um, how does the survey highlight the challenges young people in Australia face? And why is community support crucial? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the survey... Um, you know, amplifies the voices of young people. But what's really important is what we do with those voices that we, um, we you know, we share that there are findings from the youth survey uh, through, you know, we share them with government, non-government organisations, with academics, uh, service providers, uh, schools uh, and the broader community. Uh, and uh, and it's really important that we listen to those voices. You know, what we, what we can see from the survey time and time again is that, Young people are really clear about, um, you know, uh, sharing how they what they're going through, how they're feeling, what's important to them, and they're also really clear about what solutions are needed. Interestingly, uh, um, for young people who are culturally and linguistically diverse, particularly say in Victoria, for example, um, we do see similar results, particularly around the environment, that, that young people from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. Um, you know, also identified the environment as their number one issue, which is interesting that they're, they're, you know, they're, they're, there's a consistency there in their views about the environment. The Australian Youth Climate Coalition, AYCC, is the nation's largest youth-run organisation dedicated to empowering young people as leaders in addressing a climate crisis. I spoke to grassroots mentor and organiser for AYCC, Natasha Abhaya-Rikrama, about the concerns of young people like herself on the action taken by the government on climate change. Do you believe that young Australians are more educated on the environment and climate change now than ever before? I can, I definitely think that. I think climate has been on the public's agenda for years and years and years. Um, and it's been in the media, we're seeing lots of pressure being put on leaders. Young people are educating themselves because we have to educate ourselves because unfortunately the curriculum has been letting us down, our leaders have been letting us net down. Um, People in positions of power who we trust aren't doing their jobs. 
Um, and that's also been a reason why young people have become so engaged in this issue. What do young people think about the Australian government's response to climate change at the moment? Um, the Labor government has promised that they're going to be delivering on climate, but they're not. They are approving new coal and gas. And I think there's a general about a general consensus of discontent um, and disappointment in the government because they they promised us the last election that these are, this would be a priority. Um, but we know that if we want to implement some real climate solutions, that we need to start moving away from coal and gas now um, and start that transition to renewable energy yesterday. And why is advocating uh, for climate change important for young people? I grew up in the climate crisis. I grew up seeing um, climate change impacts, communities I come from, my friends, my family. Um, that's why it's important and that's why we feel like we have to advocate because unfortunately our, the older generations haven't been doing it for us. Um, our leaders are letting us down. Um, I think sometimes young people feel like they don't have a choice and in a way we have that moral authority as well. Uh, I guess like the last thing I want to add is like it's now important more than ever um, because we do finally have a government that says they care about climate change. It's more more important for young people to actually step up and confront leaders and um, talk to their MPs and get involved in the community and start organising because we can win and we will win um, because what other choice do we have? That was Natasha Abhaya Wikram speaking to The Wire. Climate action is one of the biggest concerns we're facing and in Australia, the community wants a better land to tackle the issue. A grassroots group called Faith Ecology Network has written to the Federal Environment Minister Tanya Plibersek urging greater protection of the environment. Environmental protest is gaining momentum across faith groups and are becoming more prominent in demanding better environmental protections. The Wires contributor for River FM, Sean O'Shaughnessy, asked coordinator of Faith Ecology Network, Anna Lanyon, what her organisation had asked of Ms Plebersek. We're an interfaith network of people connecting faith with ecological awareness and care. And since about 2020, I suppose it was, um, we've had a focus on biodiversity. And um, we were really pleased to see that Tanya Plebersek took on the role of updating the uh, Federal Environment Protect Biodiversity Protection Act. And we wanted to support the environment groups in their call uh, for, for basically three things. One was to provide more robust environmental protection standards that will protect our Australian um, ecosystems against further destruction. Uh, number two, to ensure properly funded habitat restoration and species recovery programs. And number three, close legal loopholes that make it possible for aggressive business practices that lead to the destruction of ecosystems and biodiversity. And for the Faith Ecology Network, number four, we want to make, to add the voices of the faith networks and faith communities to the environmental groups. Have you heard back from uh, Minister Plibersek's office yet? Not yet. We also sent copies 
to um, the state ministers around the state and we've had uh, responses from some of those and shadow um, ministers in states but not from the minister herself. Is this the sort of thing that uh, Fenn has done before? Have you been writing to ministers a lot over the years? Not a lot. We call ourselves a network of networks. We've been focusing our energies on awareness raising and education about the connections between faith and ecology uh, and the ecological sciences. This is the first time myself as the coordinator has written to the minister, but specifically on this issue. And it was specifically because we're so focused on biodiversity because it's absolutely um, uh, just mind-boggling the rate of loss that's going on. So we have to have laws to help prevent that. And it was pleasing to see um, Sophie Scomps launch the Forest Pledge. No lesser person than uh, Pope Francis has said, our common home is being pillaged, laid waste and harmed with impunity. Cowardice in defending it is a grave sin. I recently came from the rising tide people's blockade of the world's biggest coal port in Newcastle and was surprised to see such a strong contingent of people identifying as people of faith there active. I wondered what you think uh, is an appropriate uh, response. Earth is crying out now and saying that the way we're living is totally incompatible with, with the flourishing of life. And we can read the signs. The scientists are telling us that uh, the way we're living is destructive to ecosystems. So we have an approach where we've developed a process that's about deep listening to Earth and becoming more ecologically conscious. We listen and learn from Earth. So we're encouraging this shifting from a kind of dualistic system to a holistic approach. Listen to each other, grow in relationships, reflect on it in the light of our faith tradition and take action. And if that means um, positive objections and uh, non-violent actions, that's fine. We're fine with that. That was coordinator of Faith Ecology Network, Anna Lanyam, ending the report by River FM's Sean O'Shaughnessy. You're listening to The Wire, independent current affairs on community and Indigenous radio. I'm Amina Shakur in Melbourne. A big hello to our listeners in Alice Springs on 8CCC 102.1 FM. To our friends in Noosa on Noosa FM 101.3. And to the other side of the country to Radio Gula Re in Broome, Western Australia. Labor MP Peter Murphy has passed away from breast cancer at the age of 50, confirmed by Prime Minister Anthony Albanese. Albanese struggled with emotion in a statement he made from Parliament. Miss Murphy, representing Dunkley, attended the House of Representatives last week before receiving palliative care at home, where she passed away surrounded by family. 
I spoke with CRN political correspondent Amanda Kopp about Miss Murphy's determination, passion and her advocacy for breast cancer. Anthony Albanese confirmed that the Labor MP uh, Peter Murphy has passed away from breast cancer at the age of 50. How has the PM remembered um, Peter Murphy? Yeah, so the PM got up yesterday. We kind of got an alert with not a lot of notice and not a lot of information when it came to what it was about. Um, and so ended up having a pretty emotional Anthony Albanese confirming that Peter Murphy, the MP, had died in her home um, surrounded by her family. Uh, and so, yeah, the, the Prime Minister was was very upset. There were several times that he had to stop to collect himself while he was making this announcement. Um, and he really described that the Labour Party was totally brokenhearted with this. And that's certainly the feeling around here in Parliament. He said that he said that Peter was beloved by her Labour family. Um, she was a strong local member, advocated for her community, and was really inspiring in her persistence through her cancer diagnosis. She worked all through that time. And I think um, possibly the most heartfelt bit was when he just said that she was a great friend. For our audience who may not, uh, not be from Victoria, can you tell us where Miss Murphy's electric office was and what um, impact she made for um, her community? Yeah, absolutely. So the electorate of Dunkley was uh, her her area. And so for people who might not know where that is, uh, it's on the outskirts of Melbourne, sort of on the Mornington Peninsula. So it, it includes areas like Frankston and the surrounding areas. She was elected there in 2019 and then re-elected in 2022. So she must have been doing something right. Um, she's also had a pretty uh, strong margin, more than 6%, which is pretty good for for, for any um, second-term MP. Um, and what she did for her local community, she had a lot of passion for um, women's groups in particular um, and addressing disadvantage. She was a public defender before she got into politics, so had a real passion for um, helping people in, in disadvantaged situations. So one thing that she did in particular in her local community was get pretty involved in an organisation called Women's Spirit Project, which essentially was a group that used a combination of fitness, health and well-being activities to kind of build connection and confidence um, with with women in her local area. I know we mentioned uh, the PM's heartfelt announcement and, and speech about uh, Peter Murphy, but how has uh, Miss Murphy been remembered by her other colleagues? Yeah, absolutely. So obviously there was the PM um, who sort of gave the, the biggest address um, and in particular offered his sympathies and support to, to her family. Um, but the others who sort of came out of the woodwork, there was a whole lot of statements um, that went out yesterday from all different sides of politics. Uh, Peter Dutton in particular, um, he put out a statement late yesterday saying that it was devastating news and that he really thought that Peter Murphy had served with grace and distinction while she was here in, in, in Parliament and noted that she, you know, despite being on the other side of politics, was respected um, by the opposition and by all sides of politics. What uh, did Miss Murphy advocate for uh, throughout her political career? Yeah, so she was in politics for 4.5 years, four and a half years, um, 
elected back in 2019. So had been here for, for a while. She was a girl originally from Wagga, um, started off as a lawyer, a barrister, and then eventually a, a senior public defender, like I said before. Um, and she was really inspired by her time there, you know, wanted to kind of um, do something that perhaps wasn't just helping individuals, but was sort of making structural reform when it came to helping people from more disadvantaged backgrounds. So that's how she got into politics in the first place. Um, and so in terms of some of her achievements, she was really one of the people who led the charge for gambling reforms and reducing um, harm from online gambling. That's still sort of working its way through in terms of policies that the Labor government is, is putting into motion. She was also a huge advocate for um, for breast cancer and breast cancer survivors, uh, was particularly, in particularly advocated for a national registry for metastatic uh, breast cancer patients. So had a lot to do with that community and certainly um, the breast cancer community is, is really grieving uh, this week from that news as well. I think it's pretty incredible that just last week, Peter Murphy was in the House of Representatives advocating for breast cancer um, support. So there was a roadmap that she helped launch into metastatic breast cancer, which is essentially the kind of breast cancer where it has spread from um, into other parts of your body and is, and is really uh, quite hard to, to manage. Um, so that was what she was here doing last week. And so I think that is really just quite symbolic of, of the strength that she dis displayed while she was here in Canberra um, is that, you know, right up until the end, she was fighting for what she believed in and, and for the causes that she stood behind. That was CRN's political correspondent, Amanda Kopp, speaking to The Wire. Telstra is in serious danger of receiving heavy fines for the lack of oversight and management. After it was found that the telco didn't supply sufficient customer data to the integrated public number database, which could have serious consequences come bushfire season. Gabriel D'Angelo reports for The Wire. Telstra is currently in hot water, facing a $300,000 fine from the Australian Communications and Media Authority, ACMA. Telstra has been faulted for not giving accurate details of thousands of customers to the Integrated Public Number Database, IPND, a critical system for emergencies like floods or fires. Back in 2021, ACMA found Telstra had major issues following IPND rules, fining them $2.5 million for almost 850,000 slip-ups. Telstra promised to fix things with a compliance program. Fast forward to September 2022, Telstra states to ACMA they found even more issues from that time. ACMA discovered Telstra messed up over 19,000 times between October 2010 and August 2022, including 600 times with silent numbers in directories. Also, over 200 customers didn't get their IPND info on time. ACMA Chair Nerida O'Loughlin said Telstra needs to wrap up their compliance program and follow the rules, especially since IPND is crucial in emergencies. She stated, Telstra needs to focus on completing the program and making sure it is fully compliant with its rules. The IPND is essential in a crisis when emergency services or police need to contact or locate people in harm's way. End quote. 
Miss O'Loughlin has reassured Telstra customers by saying, We will keep Telstra focused on fixing these long-standing issues and giving consumers confidence that their data is being accurately recorded. End quote. Apart from the fine, ACMA has made Telstra agree to an independent review and more improvements. Miss O'Loughlin has stressed the importance of the accurate practices, especially since Australia will be going into bushfire season. She claims... ACMA expects all telcos to have and maintain effective processes to meet these critical obligations, especially as we head into the bushfire season in Australia, end quote. Telstra must check IPND accuracy every quarter and report to ACMA. If they don't, ACMA can take them to federal court. Miss O'Loughlin has reminded all telecom companies, especially with bushfire season coming up, to keep up effective processes for IPND obligations. Every telco needs to upload accurate customer details, including silent numbers. Consumers can also ask for their IPND record, and it must be given within 20 business days. That was Gabriel D'Angelo reporting for The Wire. Thanks so much for listening wherever you are in Australia. The Wire is a co-production between community radio stations 3ZZZ in Melbourne, 2SER in Sydney, Radio Adelaide, 4ZZZ and Radio 4EB in Brisbane. With the great support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation and Community Radio Network. Check out all of our stories on our website at thewire.org.au and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. The Wire acknowledges the traditional custodians of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations where the program has been produced and we pay our respects to Aboriginal elders past, present and emerging. I'm Amina Shakur coming to you from Z Radio in Melbourne, Victoria. Thanks so much for your company.